Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addict Static Podcast, where we take your calls and answer your questions on just about anything. I'm Ray. I'm Adam. I will be Gary today. I'm Johnny. And I'm Ed. All right. So today is um, August 6th. It's Sunday, 630. We're live on YouTube. We've got, um, just look us up at Addict Static Pod or Addict Static Podcast on YouTube, addictstaticpod.com. Today, we're going to start the show with uh, just to see what's happening with Adam. So, Adam, let's do it. What's happening with me? Well, I got a challenge for Ed. I got sweet tart ropes here. We're going to put these in front of you, see how long they last because of a comment you made on a previous episode. All right, I'm going to try my willpower. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Those aren't the correct ones. So That's I okay. have a present they for Ed that I'm going to leave over here <laughs> and maybe eat myself of the Skittles gummies that you said, and we'll see if we can get you to do something. I also have but, but if those are the right ones, they should be in front of him. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> and you should open the bag so he has to smell it. And it I, smells good. I do have a present for Ray. Wow. Bob Ross Bob Ross bobblehead. Oh, that's we got to cool. open this up and throw some at him. Hold on, hold on. At him or at him? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to make sure they're okay. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> made sure you're... Wait, let me see. Nice. Hey, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. That's got to be three points. First Easy. Easy. <laughs> Wasn't there supposed to be some swear words that have come along with this? Yeah, uh, we, we never really defined how that was going to happen. He's going to say something silly now. No, no, no. You're correct. You're correct. You had asked for some curse, so here's a very cursive word. No, thank you very much for the candy. We said cursing, cursing. Oh, uh, it's cursing. Show the camera. All right. So, um, realistically, what's going on with me is um, I am what four and a half weeks after uh, foot surgery here, and I'm pushing it as hard as I can every day. Ed, you're going to yell at me, but what I'm doing is because I've got to be ready to get on a mountain in about five weeks, less than five weeks now. I'm just using pain as my judge, and if it doesn't hurt, I keep doing more, 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 more. So I'm off crutches. I'm out of the boot. Uh, the, the, the doc doesn't know yet, but I'm able to do a lot of things pain-free. So I'm doing it. Wait, wait, wait. That's so, awesome. So you purposely got this operation how many weeks before you were planning a, a mountain trip? Well, I got the, the, the right foot done May 15th. And then... The wrong foot on... Yeah, that was the wrong one. Oh. So... No, it actually was the right one. Then the left one on July 5th before the right one was fully healed, you know, to kind of compress that time schedule to give me nine and a half or so weeks before the mountain. Nice. So it's doable, sort of, kind of, but I'm pushing hard. I thought you were going to scold me for that. You should be taking it easy. But, yeah, but I, I would ask yeah, someone who understands, it. like, is so, that normal? Is it good, bad, indifferent? What? So here's the thing. As long as your surgeon has given you the okay to start doing activity and exercise, you don't have a weight bearing restriction. Those are the big keys. Oftentimes after surgery, you know, the biggest thing I tell, you know, folks in, in the clinic is you have to be mindful of post-operative restrictions. They're not there necessarily because, you know, they're concerned about increasing your pain, although I'm sure all your surgeons, you know, want you to have, you know, comfortable recovery. They're there to protect the post-operative work that was done. And the biggest issue after surgeries is commonly the young, healthy, motivated patient who's just chomping at the bit to get going. It's she champing at the bit. Just We should be correct here. <laughs> right. Thank you. Well, Ch champing? Yeah. Not chomping? I thought, champing. It, was, I thought it was like a horse like I, chomping I, on the bit. I think no? it is That's champing, kind of but in fact, Ed's right, I was chomping. <laughs> <laughs> on the gummies? Champing? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Don't question. So it, it turns out like those folks are really not at most risk because what winds up happening is that early period when there are post-operative restrictions, those folks figure, you know, intuitively, well, I feel pretty good. You know, why can't I put weight? Why can't I move in that direction? And that's something you have to be real mindful of, right? Communicate with your surgeon, make sure you adhere to those post-operative restrictions when those things are in place. So doing what I'm doing without my surgeon's permission, I'm pro I could be completely screwing myself and reversing the positive impacts of the surgery, but mechanically, how would this manifest? Like I've got plates and screws, am I gonna be shooting screws out through my boots? Or is is the the bone gonna like over calcify? Like what would what could go wrong? Typically after orthopedic surgery is looking at stability of the work that was done and the integrity of the work that was done. So that's why you wanna adhere to post-operative restrictions, but you definitely wanna communicate with your surgeon. So what, what, what does that mean, in integrity? Like the screws so, coming out so of the bone? Think about Leaning Tower of Pisa. It wasn't supposed to walk around and it did, and then it fell. Yeah, so what happens is, you know, it hasn't things, fallen yet. things are pla put in place, you want them to stay in place, right? And all the tissue you have around there, right? It has to be calcified, has to scar down. And so you want that placement that was originally intended to be the placement that is therefore taken long-term as opposed to being off a little bit. So mm -hmm. I understand that. So if you've got a screw loose, then you can have a problem. I, I've had, yeah, <laughs> I took the, my, my car and they said, the problem is you get Wait. a loose nut behind the wheel and, and we <laughs> so never fixed it. But we're anyway, gonna, so, so Ed, down, man. I'm gonna devour that whole bag. Ed, to clarify, <laughs> so you've got a screw going into a bone that can't really move laterally, but it <coughs> could potentially back its way out so or drill further in. So what happens when a lot of times people don't understand, bone is not static tissue. Bone is dynamic, right? And so bone is constantly being laid down by the body and constantly being reabsorbed by the body. So it's a dynamic tissue. So what happens when things are put in place, a lot of times post-operative restrictions, either weight-bearing or certain movements you know, that shouldn't be done, are there to allow those things that were placed to settle in and to be stable before you start putting weight on there. All right, sorry, Doc. Uh, you're going to carry me down the stairs because I don't have crutches today. <laughs> Wait, but but seriously, so you're planning on going where in we're gonna, four to five weeks, you said? Yeah, we've got uh, Bora Peak in Idaho uh, starting up September 10th. And then uh, a few days later, we'll be in uh, Glacier doing uh, some orienteering, uh, mountaineering, climbing type stuff. Uh, that's the plan. So... My thought was to get to that point in a short time, I've got to be pushing the recovery here. So what I've been doing is as much as I can, provided it's, it's pain-free. Like if I feel something, okay, don't do that again. Right. So just talk to your surgeon, talk to your surgeon. A lot of times, you know, there may not be restrictions after certain procedures, right? After, you know, a certain period of weight-bearing restriction, they might say, hey, you're good to go, Adam, whatever you can do, whatever you can tolerate. But the main thing is that I always, can, you know, try and let patients know is after any surgical procedure, you got to have the communication with the surgeon. Right. That's going to be really important. But talk to him. I keep going back to it. Like you couldn't just do this on the month after you came back. Sure, it could. But I want to get it over with. And in the summer, it's, it's too hot for me to be real active outside. Hate the heat, hate the humidity. So that was kind of the, the objective. OK. And the only issue is maybe pushing it a little close with the schedule. I was going to say. Cause and your elbows all better? No, still working on that. So you got an elbow problem. Got another problem with the shoulder too. I, I couldn't figure out. It was like coming and going, and finally I figured out the motion that ah that triggers it. So get him, get him on yeah. the table, Ed. <laughs> figure this I, out. We have to have an episode just yeah. to do the the, the therapy and yeah, see well, what's yeah. up. Well, but more importantly, 
you're in the middle of the mountain. Let's run through a scenario. You're in the middle of the mountain. The whatever they put in your leg is is that removed before you go to the mountain? No, no. It's the, permanent. The, the screws and plates are permanent for the rest of your life. Okay, yeah. so I'm assuming plus they're titanium. Titanium is cool, right? Well, that's that, that's cool. got no fat there, right? So you're you're ready to like feel the cold and feel it there and the whole nine yards, right? Yeah, I mean it's not the coldest it realistically would get even on the the summits at you know four or five in the morning would probably be fifteen twenty degrees. So it's not extreme extreme cold. That's interesting. I, I, the only reason why I asked when I did my arms, I had the opportunity to either use the fixator, get it removed, or put the plates. And one of the things they said, those plates with temperature change and the fact that there's not a lot of fat, you know, you were going to have to deal with that for the rest of your life. So they're not taking that out, right? You're saying it's going to stay Correct. there? Or could, it could you take there. it out if you wanted to? I, I guess you could, but I think that kind of defeats the purpose. No, the reason why I say is that I think, you know, some of them put those screws that they dissip, they dissipate and all that. And then there's ones that if you if you do feel the discomfort, they will go back and pull it out. I do. At least that's what they told me. I mean, your thing might have been bigger. Like you have big plates and stuff that might have a big impact. Like when I had my ACL done, I think I had two titanium screws in that are just there forever. Right. But and no feeling, no nothing. No, nothing. It's been 25 years. No. But there are also two little screws that are buried in my knee versus like a giant plate in the side of your arm that might be more exposed to. Right. So when are you day. guys getting your titanium? Yeah. You feeling left out? Yeah. No, actually, no, I have titanium. Well, you, you got, got titanium. Yeah, I have titanium. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's, gen he's genetically correct, so, so he's going to run. So, Johnny, do you have any old. metal left in your arm? You got any titanium? No, I chose not to have any of that. So I have okay. the, the scars, obviously, but no metal. Got it. So in this particular one, I could have opened all the way up to here. They would have put a plate and that would have stayed there forever. But the guy says, since I'm not I'm very large or anything, I would have felt that every time. And if it gets really cold out, people yeah, get but sensations. Like, when you flex, I mean, that'd be like titanium. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think like the, the, the ladder was pretty cool. Ray and I were in the Walmart <laughs> in Puerto Rico and the guy was like, do you remember, Ray? The guy was like, did you get bit by a shark? Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. yeah he, he and I were like, yeah. yeah. I was like, no. Nah, so I want to go back. Hey, what do you have metal in? Where? So I actually have metal in my neck uh, about, I guess it's three years now. I had a two level cervical disc replacement. So what happens, they have made I thought men joints. don't have cervicals. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. Cervix. Yeah. It's not, oh, 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 I got you. I got you. Yeah, so the top part of the spine. No, 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 no. And, and, and well, look, partly, to, partly, to partly, our but. tens and tens of listeners. We're <laughs> not, tens and tens? Well, yes. Oh, maybe ten. Ten? ten. million. We're not necessarily falling apart. This is this will happen to you, too, when you're 50 plus. Wait, I don't really right. meddle in me. You're the you're kind yeah. of an exception. Yeah, you're the twenty percent. Yeah, he's the twenty percent on the like in his job. You're the twenty percent on the titanium. Right. Yeah. But you know what the good part of it's that? Good that give yourself because that'll always work. Give yeah. yourself time because you're not stopping running. Well, that's not mean I'm gonna need metal. Yeah, you could trip, fall. Johnny, break his arm. Let's get some that. titanium in him. <laughs> but Adam, the silver lining of what you're saying, right, is that it's true. It's titanium lining. <laughs> it's true, titanium lining. Not necessarily, you know, that we're falling apart, but. In life, we have to go through all kinds of obstacles and challenges, right? But yet that does not mean in any way you have to become sedentary, right? You can stay active, right? And I think it's a great point, you know, what you're saying about sharing about your plans for what you want to do after your surgery, right? I had surgery also, but after that, life goes on, right? Well, that, that is a good point. It is about staying active, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because absolutely. was mine medically necessary? I asked the insurance companies to tune out right now, but there's a little <laughs> bit of a debate there. Um, 
was right. Can you live without an ACL? Sure, you can live without an ACL. These my, are not life-threatening surgeries. No, my, my, the knee doctor uh, asked me, right? Like I was like 26 or something. And he said, like, you know, if you're not going to be active, you know, you know, you don't need to do this surgery. Just go without it, you know? And I was thinking, I'm going to go in the next 60 years with missing a missing a, an element of my knee and saying, okay, I got to be inactive for 60 no. years. It makes no sense. You wouldn't have made it 60 years yeah, being no inactive. Yeah. yeah, the problem with that is that- No pickleball. You, no pickleball. You, you've got a lot of you know increased biomechanical stress, right, inside of yeah. the joint surfaces, yeah, because it's not going to be as stable. So you're going to do your thing, living your life, hiking, backpacking, going on uneven terrain, and now you have more wear and tear in your joints. So definitely made the right choice because yeah. you want to be active. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the point is- um, living in 2023, there are a lot of options. There's a lot of ways to, to keep your body going. Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, just like your cell phones and your tablets, you know, all these surgical components, they're, they're always getting better. They're always improving. Like every other aspect of technology, right? The next generation is always better than the previous generation. And the next generation is just, you know, a few months down the road, they're always getting replaced. So that's a very nice thing about that. Yep. I think we have a question. All right. Well, I, I have, I, we do have some questions, but I do have Let's one see thing. what just came in. Why are you guys talking about feet for 20 minutes? Uh, <laughs> don't know. Let's, let's go to the next one. It's not next. feet. It's your operation and what you're going to do. Operation. Trying, trying to uh, recover. So um, I do want to just do this, say this one thing. So uh, someone said chomping at the bit. He just Gary, wants to show that I'm Gary right. corrected no, he him. Said it. it said oh, yeah. champing at the bit. Is it's that champing what it is? at the bit. So oh, okay. Thank technically you. it's champing at the bit, but... Uh, according to Grammarist, uh, they're both acceptable because everybody says it that way, and they think champing. So we like, we like champing. But champing is the real so correct. word. We should do it right. He's more, he's more correct. Yes. Want to make sure Good everybody job. remembers you know this. Very, very important, important you, right? stuff. Yeah, I, I know almost everything. <laughs> really? What's the lottery numbers for tomorrow? I don't know that. Oh. I can't predict not the tell, No, the answer is I'm not telling you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. So... Um, all right, here we got one. I think this one's going to be for Johnny. My toilet sounds like it's leaking or something. Every once in a while, it flushes by itself. Any ideas on what's going on? Can I answer it? Go ahead. Oh, I like, I like when I try these because I on. can sometimes get them right. I've had this before. So basically what it is is the flapper um, is not sitting properly or seating properly. So what's a flapper? It's the when you pull the lever down, it comes up. The toilet water up top goes below, and it fills back up. It's a little down. round rubber thing. This there. is in the tank yes, behind tank. where you sit or stand. Yes. Correct. So it's not sitting properly, so water will drip through. And once the water drips down to the point where the water goes low enough, it's going to fill back up. So that's the water you're hearing. So you either need to, well, you need to replace probably the flapper. Yeah. So to finish. Yes, correct. So to finish yeah. this thing, there's two ways to do it. You go to Home Depot, you can buy the entire kit, as long as you know your brand, your make, model, they are universal ones. Or, or just look at it, like, and either take it with you or take a picture and just go buy the same. Yeah, universal. so right. a lot of the times, like for instance, I had an odd Kohler one that had a completely different setup. You couldn't take it out. It was like, it, it was so deteriorated that if you touched it, it just turned it to pieces. So you get your model, serial number, and if you go down that aisle, um, there's a little book, and that little book in that aisle, and if you have a, the opportunity to get an employee who actually knows what they're doing, you could find the components that go in there. But to Gary's point, you're just simply leaking out of the bowl, and you could hear it. And if We're it gets out of the back, yeah, that's that's I would I would con the way I'm saying is the bowl is the back part where it's okay. housing the water. That's where. I, don't so know I have a question because name. I replaced most of my flappers with one of those energy saver ones where it's like a big 
cone that goes inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have two options, you know, a one or a two. Right. I don't find they work very well, though, because over time, the it's a silicone seal and it starts leaking even worse than a flapper. Yeah. So, so I don't, what's your experience with that? So I wouldn't modify it if, unless it came from the OEM that way. It's just the way life is, right? If if they wanted it to be that way, they would have put it that way. And the OEM but is Original Equipment, equipment manufacturer. manufacturer. Yeah. So if it came that way with the two buttons like he's referring to, usually one will have like one swipe and the other button will have two swipes and it's a larger button, which connotates like what you did, but it's not, it's not a difficult thing. Number right? one or number, or number two. two. Exactly. Right. So the point is, is that all of those parts are available at Home Depot or any of your uh, home convenience stores. It's not something that you should just change your, your toilet like some people have done. And it's probably, I want to say, what do you think? 20 bucks. 20 bucks and a 20 minute job? Not even 20 bucks. Um, I, the first time I ever did it, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so it took me a little longer because you minutes? have to really... Yeah, because I didn't realize you had to really drain all the water out of the, the bowl or whatever you want to call it. So when I took the thing out, water's dumping all over the place. I'm like, yeah. this is so not I think, good. I think right. because it's one of those things that you don't really do a mental note, but it's the tank, right? So the tank, not the bowl. Yes. The tank um, has all these components. And usually all you do is turn off the water that's usually under it on the wall. You turn it off, make sure it's nice and off. You flush it. What you're going to notice is that all the water goes down and it doesn't fill back up again. But to his point is usually you, you have a layer of like a one inch water still yep. there. So you take the valve off on the bottom, put something to catch that water, and then you can do all the service. It's usually like 20 minutes and it's not a difficult thing to do. So, Johnny, you're on a roll now. I'd like to go back to uh, a question that came up or a partial solution to the power steering issue that came up last week. And I'm, I'm going to just jump in here because as it pushes through 120 degrees in the attic, I, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be conscious. <laughs> so the issue was that the power steering was intermittently stiff as you go around. So the first thing I did was change the power steering fluid. <coughs> Very easy. You find the power steering reservoir and a, a turkey baster or a siphon, and you, exactly. you pull out the power steering fluid to get m- more in the reservoir. You just turn the wheel back and forth real quick. It pumps into the reservoir. Eventually, you get more or less all of it out. Then you put fresh power steering fluid into it, cycle that through by turning the steering wheel, take that out. When that fluid starts to look less black and more clear like the fluid you're putting in, you're done then what you'll typically find is that didn't solve the problem. Most projects get bigger. So <laughs> I, I think actually maybe it had the 20% improvement, but it's still, you know, alternately stiff. So now I think so what's the, next? the answer is it's the U-joint on the steering column. It's your joint. I need to hit that with um, a degreaser or PB blaster or something. And I, I learned this from YouTube, of course. And fortunately, there's an auto zone on the way here. So I stopped there. My Spanish was good enough to take care of the, the, the transaction. And um, I think I do not even need to take off the tire and the skid plates and the panels because I don't need to replace the steering column yet. I'm going to just try and spray that U-joint first. So tell me where I'm, where I'm wrong or if it's worth a shot. I this was only, 10 bucks. I would only say that all of those mechanicals that most people um, <coughs> suggest and show on, on 
on the web is usually a car that was in very dirty conditions, very greasy conditions, either off-roading for a long time, but a, a normal daily driver, especially if it was in the garage, it's not going to be that. It's going to be that you took too long to change the fluid and either the pump or the rack and, and or the system is damaged already. So because when I, when I turn the wheel back and forth, that steering fluid, it just pumps right into the reservoir very easily. Does that mean the pump is okay? Not or? necessarily, no, okay. because what happens is the pump is mechanical. It has these veins that turn. If those veins get damaged, and back in the day, you'd hear it. Like, you, everyone's heard the bat. Well, I don't know. I don't want to okay. assume. So for 10 bucks. You, you hear, that, that it's because the yeah. fluid is passing through those veins. So... The newer ones have much tighter tolerance, tolerances, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't okay. give you a physical feeling that there's something wrong. Got it. So, so for 10 bucks, I'm going to give it a try, course, but I won't course. get my hopes up yeah. and it will probably so go to the next level. The world uh, needs to know that level. usually when it comes to those things where joints are all dirty or need to be, it's because they were in a situation much different than daily driving or the car has like. 300,000 miles on it. Like a 225. Yeah. So you're getting to the point where you might be close to that, but yeah. I would definitely look at it first and see how yeah. gunky it is. But I think, I don't think the truck is near the end yet. Like I might be, cause now I think it's 125 in the attic, but <laughs> you'll get over the, you'll now? get over Does the heat. Feel yeah. You'll get over the heat. Yeah, Hang in there. Sweat mustache going on here. Oh. So we got, um, that's right. in there. Good. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go to the next question here. Um, so I'm going to pick from one of these two. Let's see. So, okay. So buying a first house and I found something I really like, but it has septic and a well house was built in 1980. Um, so I don't know anything. Hold on. Let me finish. I don't know anything about septic and wells. Is the water safe to drink? Is there, is this a lot of work? <laughs> is there something I should know before deciding on buying this kind of house? Well, first, depending on what state you're in, it's very likely that your health department's going to require uh, a water sample. Um, if they don't water sample from the well, water sample, uh, well, yes, from the well, but you're going to take it from your kitchen tap. Uh, if the health department does not require it, uh, call a, a local water lab and, um, have it tested. Uh, I'm not going to get into everything that you could possibly test for. There's about, I think 90 or so regulated, uh, parameters by EPA, but you know, there's tens of millions of synthetic chemicals. Um, so uh, same thing with uh, the septic system. You may be required uh, to have that inspected by, uh, by the health department. If you're not, absolutely go for it because um, in, a, in a worst case, you need a new one. That'll set you back anywhere from twenty to $60,000. So I'll tell you what. We, we have a, I think he just got one. Hold on, yeah. So we have a caller. Uh, Depending on, on what live. state you are in. So let, let's come back to this question because I think there's more to it. Um, but yeah, let's go, to the, let's go to the caller. Hey, this is Addict Static. Who's there? Oh, All right, we'll I, keep going. I, I think we on, lost him. On this, I think that was... I think kind of the the answer it, it varies the cost of repair uh, is going to vary if it's needed is going to vary hugely. But I think we should back up state a second. to so, state. So this one, you know, they asked. I don't know anything about these systems, right? So maybe we should actually explain yeah. what these things are. For yeah, they're they're not right? taboo, right? So so having a well and septic means 
that the water that you get comes from a hole in your yard, a pipe that's drilled down into the ground in your house. It doesn't come from a pipe in the street that goes out to the water plant or anywhere else publicly. And you don't pay a monthly bill for that, right? You own it. You have a thing in your yard. It's yours. It's yours to be free when it's working and it's yours to fix and pay for when it's not working, right? You are paying the power of cost for to run the pump right. from it, but that's, uh, that's typically it other than replacing your pump every 20 years or so. Right. So, so basically you've got a, for the water, you've got a, a drilled well, which might be anywhere from 50 to 300 feet deep in your yard. Um, it's got a pump that's all the way down there somewhere, not at the bottom, but near there. And um, with a pipe that comes all the way out and runs into your house and then it feeds all the water systems in your house. Uh, so that's the well and the water that you're drinking is coming from all the way down there. And, right? and just to clarify, if your well does not have uh, 50 feet of grouted casing, then you could be getting water that is from a shallower level. And in some states, it's not really a compliant well. But right, but but no one knows what grouted casing is, right? So basically, when you drill that hole in the ground 300 feet down, right, you, the drillers decide where they want the water to come from, right? It could come from really deep, it could come from really shallow, and they seal off the parts that they don't want, right, with a, with a grout, which is like a clay type well, material, right? Let's, let's clarify, it depends on if you're in an unconsolidated or consolidated <laughs> formation. So if you are in a sand formation, yes, you've got ability to pull from potentially several different aquifers at different depths. You still need to seal off that top 50 feet. The driller can make some decisions there. If you are in a consolidated formation or fractured rock, essentially you're going through, you're advancing that uh, bit through solid rock. And the idea is at some point you're going to hit a fracture. A fracture is just a gap in the rock. And then secondly, you hope that that's where water is flowing. You may hit a gap at, you know, uh, uh, or a fracture at 40 feet. I'm sorry, can't use it. Uh, you've got to hit one deeper. And this, this may, may be overkill here, uh, <laughs> but you can also televise the borehole. And if you hit a fracture at 40 feet, you see which angle it's running at and drill in that direction so you can hit that same fracture a little bit deeper. Yeah, you could, um, basically you're, you're trying to keep from taking surface water because once you drill that hole from the surface then stuff could be running down the hole, like fertilizer from your yard and whatever else is on the surface from- It goes down from, as far as 50 feet? Well, it, your well, casing will go down 50 feet minimum in most states. The borehole can, can be a thousand feet. Typically um, in, uh, uh, I know we have global listeners, so this is going to be irrelevant to most people, but uh, in most of North Jersey, if you don't hit uh, a decent fracture by 500 feet, most times drillers will, will call it off. You're less likely to hit one deeper. But to answer your question, Gary, so what the stuff like fertilizers and things on the surface are probably not going down 50 feet, but when you drill a well, you've now punched a hole and it could run down the hole. Like every time it rains, whatever, that stuff now has a, a way to get down there where it didn't before. So if you don't seal that off, then you've caused a new problem, right? You've contaminated the- So picture drilling with a 12 inch diameter bit, actually this residential well, back up, eight inch diameter bit, right? And then stopping at 50 feet, then putting in a six inch diameter steel casing in the center of that, then pouring grout in the annular space between your borehole and the outside of that casing. So filling up the outside of the straw, basically. Right. Are we right. giving way too much information? Yes. Well, no, I, I think so. I, I so think the, the information that's necessary for the homeowner or the wannabe homeowners, is it normal? Is it common? So I think it is, right? So we should, we oh, should be able to- Oh, well are common? Uh, absolutely. Well, they're common. Septic Very is common. common. And yeah. t I think the, 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 the takeaway here is 
is there a well permit? Is there a well record? Your health department should have that on file. I would have, see if you can get your realtor to, to pull that information, talk to your, your, your health officer, if you don't even know what you're looking at and say, here, is this good? Yeah. And I think the other practical point on the well, the first home that we bought, they actually had a well on the property. But in this case, the well was only for irrigation. So if you're looking at a property to purchase, it's good to make that distinction. Are you looking at a well for the drinking water and for everything on the property, or is it just for irrigation? In our case, it was just for irrigation. We had city water, city sewer, and it was uh, something that was feeding into the uh, sprinkler system in and, that property. And how do you know? it'll The designation of that well will show up on the permit. Got it. All right, so that's a well, um, and then yes, to Johnny's point, common, lots of people have them, um, but it's something that you've got to manage, right? When you've got city water, you don't care. You just pay the bill every month and you never think about it, right? So that's and, well, then there's septic. And you guys have septic in your rentals. What are things that people can and can't do with septic? So, go, so right, so going on to septic, so, so your sewage or your waste from your house is either going into a septic system that's on your property um, or it's going through a pipe out to the street and out to the sewer system that, you, again, you don't care about, you just pay the bill every month, right? So when you have a septic system or an on-lot septic system, they'll call it, um, you have a big tank underground that takes the water initially, and then there's a big field of soil and area that, that all that water and waste gets pushed into, so it biodegrades on your, in your property, basically, right? Um, and that's the thing that, you know, back to what the caller's question is, like, what is it, what do I do with this thing? Like, again, you own it. You've got to deal with it. You don't have to pay a monthly bill for it anymore. Um, but if it breaks or not breaks, but if something goes wrong, if the tank leaks, if the field fails, um, it, like Adam said, anywhere from 20 to 60 grand to replace. Right. And how do I know if something's wrong with it? How do I know if it, if it failed? So you're either going to see really great grass growing on the top because all the, all the uh, waste from your house is not being broken down properly, or you're going to have some kind of sludge or water or something leaking out of your yard. Um, I don't know if there's other, other smell. Is there, is there a service smell that is necessary over time? Because I know people pump them out and stuff like that. So they pump out the tank. So there's a settling tank that comes in first. So all the solids and everything is supposed to settle out. And every couple of years, you're supposed to get that pumped out because it starts to build up. That's one service. Other people do clear, clean the fields out or, or pump out the fields, I believe, right? They Not pump out, but they jet out the pipes in the field, um, the drainage field, to try to keep it clean. That's the only service I know of. Okay. You? That's about well that, said. Right? Yeah. So other than that, uh, but yeah, it could be, we just had the two done in the Poconos, and all together, we replaced the tanks in both and we replaced the field in one, and it was 26000 Total for total for the two. Right. So we, we definitely got a good deal. I know the guy, you know, we've been doing work with this guy a long time and he gave us a good deal on it, but he knows the guy. It's not cheap because I know a guy. Well, the thing is, Central Jersey water is expensive. So not having a water bill is pretty cool. It could be cool. Yeah. yeah. But every once in a while. Do you, do you know what the going rates are here? What do, you, do you know what you pay per thousand gallons? I do. How much? I'm not going to repeat it, but um, we did for different reasons, not household, but. Uh, commercial or industrial, um, this section of Central Jersey is like second or third in the entire nation in expense. So you got to tell the people that usually in this uh, area of New Jersey, you get paid, let's say that your um, water bill was $100, your sewer bill is $100. So it actually doubles. Yep. They assume that all the water that you used went out and it's their charge for um, treating it. So it becomes expensive. Yeah, so typical rates are anywhere from uh, five bucks a thousand to 20 bucks per thousand gallons. That's just 
water alone. Um, Massachusetts, uh, Boston area is known for high rates. Uh, Georgia, uh, Seattle and San Francisco area. Um, New Jersey has a lot of different private systems, so it's all over the map. Yeah, my calculation that we use is not for residential. I, the, the reason why I say it's, it's, it's the, one of the highest in the country, it it's, includes the sewer and the surcharge if you're releasing BOD or TSS, so it's not for residential uh, calculations. Okay, so wrapping it up, um, nothing wrong with septic uh, well and septic, um, but you have to know how it works. You should make sure you read about it. Um, oh, call, get, them, get them tested first. Talk to your De- health department, get, get experts to test them both. It's going to cost you a little more, but you could be saving yourself a lot of money. Right. But you also want to read about it, learn how it works, understand it. When they tell you this is wrong or that's wrong, you know what they're talking about. Okay. So let's, let's understand something too. Usually it comes associated with a water softener or a water treatment system. Depending on those test results that you get, you'll know what you'll need, whether you have clear water iron you know, sulfur, all that stuff. There's a system that'll be attached to your incoming water that will treat that for you. And usually if it is, for instance, a water softening system, you'll also have a cost to put the um, salt in that system every, I don't have that. Depends on your your level of usage. usage. And then if you want to get real fancy, just soften the hot water, don't soften the cold water because the hardness in the water, it's just calcium and magnesium. It's good for your pipes in your body, it's not good for the pipes, your mechanical yeah, pipes in your really house. Good. And you can save uh, a lot of salt that way. The other way to go, instead of sodium chloride, go with potassium chloride. And then it's not as, uh, as bad to soften uh, your cold and your hot water, but that will cost you more. Yeah. Always does. Okay, um, so let's go on to the next one. So we got a, we got a question from a viewer. Um, this one says, this is back to Johnny. What are Johnny's thoughts on electric cars in terms of environmental <laughs> impact? Somebody, uh, somebody was listening in on a private conversation, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to know what they mean by environmental impact because um, anything that we make in, the, in this world has an impact, right? So specifically electric cars, the largest impact is the battery associated with it. And it's really just, hoping that the the i guess everything that we have available to us in the future lets us um secure that they are completely recyclable and that the components in them are sourced um correctly maybe you could explain why a battery has an environmental impact okay so um electric car battery just like the battery in your phone just like the battery in almost anything that is not plugged in um, it has multiple components and there are certain components that make that charge last longer and with more potency. And those are ores and different um, items that come from the ground and they are mined just like gold, just like silver. And those units are. You're talking dispar- about what? Like lithium? What else? Lithium, Multiple. cobalt. Um, there's a there's a rare, host the, the rare earth, rare metals. earth metals right so okay. these units are using these batteries and that's where the issue lies um, they're right now one particular um, location in the world Africa comes to mind they're mined in Africa I, everyone I believe knows that there's not a lot of policing and there could be um, environmental issues um, human rights issues when it comes to um, 
mining those items. So Johnny, what's the big deal with mining? I find a huge chunk of lithium or a huge chunk of cobalt, or is it, is it not that simple? No, it's not that simple. But more importantly, it's understanding the question is, what are your thoughts on electricity in terms of environmental impact? So obviously if I walk to the store and get milk and I come back home and I use that milk, that's in my mind, an efficient process. But if I walk to the store and I buy milk, and then I take that milk, I put it in a UPS box and I send it to my brother. And my brother lives in Florida. There was an airplane that had the waste fuel to get it there. So a lot of issues associated with electric cars is that all these components and all this um, process that has to do to make each item are done in different parts of the world. But how is this different from like, the batteries in a, in a gas car? Well, the battery in the gas car is very small and its function is not, it's only to start your car. So what's right the order of magnitude? After. How much bigger? Everyone knows a, a, a internal combustion engine vehicle battery is about, you know, this big. How much, how many times so bigger is a EV? The Tesla S, uh, well, let's not say a model. So let's, the, the Tesla car, it's about 1,200 to 300 uh, 1300 pounds the battery whereas i believe everyone knows if you open your hood and you take out the battery in a gas car it's probably about 30 pounds something right? like that Th 30 pounds okay. it has probably six cells in it and um for the most part unless you have a old school style battery that takes um uh oh my god what's the the water um that you you can refill the cells with Water. Someone help me. Um, Acid. E electro. Uh, yeah, but what's it called? Um, lithium. Dielectric. Not, not denatured. Um, oh my God, I'm having like a, it's a, distilled a, water. Distilled water. Yeah. So you would fill it. Those are oh, those serviceable easy. batteries. Most of them are completely sealed batteries that you cannot do anything with. Once that battery goes bad, you take it out. It gets recycled, and that's it. The problem with that is that it's a very small component of a gas car. And remember, you could literally remove your battery. You're not supposed to, but I'm just saying you can remove your battery in your car after it's on and your alternator and all the other components would take charge of, of doing all the necessary items. It's not the right way to do it, but a lot of people don't know that. You do not need a battery in your car once it's on. Just to go back to the mining thing, when so you're not finding big, pure um masses of the rare earth metals that you need, you may find that uh, an appropriate place or the most promising place to mine has less than 1% of the metals you're looking for all blended in and mixed up. So now you got to excavate and remove a hundred times more volume than what you're actually going to get. Correct. And then you've got the refining process as well, yeah. right? So that that's where the huge impact comes. Yeah. So, so to, to answer the so question, and there's a follow up, right? Too, to answer right? the question is it does have an impact, but it's, it's very difficult to quantify what the impact is of a regular car to that one without taking a lot of stuff into consideration because every manufacturer does things differently. But, right? but I still have an issue with why, and, and like I'm the biggest environmentalist, right? But I still have an issue with why people are concerned about this but they're not concerned about, you know, what what's the environmental impact of making this glass or making that plastic bottle or that camera or whatever. Like, I don't understand why this is a big deal and no, nothing else I, is I, a big deal. I believe that it's just like having a, a touchy conversation with your spouse or your child. You want to open the conversation. Right? But why about this wait, and not about wait, anything else? But usually... 
you have a conversation with a child, you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. It's going to be, well, if, if, if this ain't right, then why is that right? Right. And that becomes a little yeah, touchy. Right. Absolutely. So your point is, is you're absolutely correct. So I invite the fact that it's becoming so popular and so many people have such a misconception, you should use those topics to bring out, hey, the fact that you're paying attention to that and you think it's good, we should educate you on all the nuances so, of it. Johnny, is your but, point that, hey, and we understand the EVs, the public kind of knows a little bit about it. Is your point that, hey, the, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's right. not necessarily good or bad, but Here's the backstory. I, I think the point not, is people buy EV cars thinking they're doing something good for the environment, but maybe they're really not. That's what you're yeah. saying. Well, maybe they're really not, or maybe it's just simpler. Maybe they should just be educated on what you're actually doing. Or, not that you're not or you are. Right. It's just don't have this, I'm running into this, this showroom thinking I'm saving the world. There's an impact to everything we do. So That's in, all I'm saying. Unless we go to hydrogen vehicles, I think the bicycle trumps internal combustion engines and EVs in a big way, right? And by you're far. saying in by internal far. combustion engine and EVs are maybe well, a little closer than we think in terms of overall food. impact. You gotta grow a lot of food, maybe it has to ship all over so you can eat it, so you can pedal that bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah, but what's the incremental increase in food that you're gonna need if you're, if you're biking everywhere? Possibly, but you're gonna save that in healthcare because you're gonna be that much healthier. But right now, if you have a Flintstones vehicle, you're going to need a foot surgery but, that I had. But I'm going to bring this different. I'm going to bring this back, especially to when the pavement's hot. You and burn and your feet and off. Let's back it to up. a serious one, but it, it it's, it's to your to a point, right? I believe the same way, and I've, I've been wanting Ray, and only because he has. By the more, way, more my, time. my feet are kind of sexy now. Wait, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking good. <laughs> so it behooves you to walk, right? Yeah, yeah. Put some sandals on. With sandals. To his to his thing was. I don't want to lose my. We need, we, I want a financial map. Don't, right? ha don't have it. Right? And we don't have it yet, but we're working on it, right? And someone will say, well, what does that have to do with this? All I want is that if someone decides I want this car or that car, you just click on it and the thing says, this is the impact. This is what it went through to get made. This is the footprint. That's it. There Very are simple. startups working on that. Exactly. And, and that's all I'm saying. All I've been saying from the very start is that when new technology is introduced, most often there is a lot of misconstrued ideas about it. We all need, there's the internet's out there. There's all this information out there. There's very hard for these publicly traded companies to hide this stuff. We should just do the research and understand that when you're, when you're plugging this thing in, where does the power come from? Do we have enough? Let's do a, a simple mind experiment and say, hey, if everyone was, had a little map and said, hey, my job is only a mile away, these are my day-to-day -day chores. This is your best option because that one charge is going to do what it's supposed to do. But if I'm someone who commutes daily and my commute is X, let's say six, 800 miles, you know, back and forth. And this is, this is probably not the best thing for you. Yeah. That's it. You'd be in Very jail, soon. right? I mean, back and forth, 800 miles each way in a day. It's a lot, right? You can't do that. Yeah, speeding, not in a Flintstones car speeding, either. Yeah. Not in a Flintstones car, but imagine yeah. we have fleets at work and people go to Worcester, Massachusetts. People go to Pennsylvania. It, it's, it's a very common thing, right? Because we want this to be mainstream, right? So if it's going to be mainstream, it has to fit a lot of scenarios, right? And all I'm saying is that the system or the, the EV community should be more transparent on exactly what this is costing the, con the consumer and what is the carbon footprint. What is the obligation that 
the U.S. The industry is not going to do that, right? The industry has shareholders no, 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 that, no, no. and it needs to maximize its profit. So it's, it's got to be some NGO or, or, or third party. Or right? us. Just, just provoking or people what to you say, hey, do yeah. the research and don't be ignorant that you think you're doing 100% good. Right. Got it. All right. So um, we're going to move on to another question here that we've got from a viewer. What different? What are the different types of insurance? What factors to consider when choosing an appropriate plan? So I'm assuming this is life, life insurance. insurance. Well, not necessarily. Why are we assuming that? I thought yeah. it could be health insurance. Could be I, life. Okay. Oh, it, we have a clarification. It is life it insurance. It is life insurance. Okay. All right, good. All right, who wants to go first? Well, I'll start at the high level. You've got term and whole life policies at the, the highest tier division. Gary wants to what? I want to live my whole life. <laughs> so yeah. let's call it term and permanent life. How about that? Let's call it term That's and fine. All right, go. All right, I'll do, I'll, do, I'll do term life. So a term policy, generally very cost effective, especially if you uh, get it when you're young. A term policy pays out if you die within a certain term. So something common, uh, folks in their 20s or 30s, if you've got kids, well, Think about a term policy at a minimum because for a long? relatively low cost. You would say like a 20-year term or a 30-year term, You can term, get, right? um, typically they'll come in 10, 20, 30 years. I've heard of 40s also, but they're generally in round numbers. So the, um, the, the at a minimum, you know, think about how long is it going to take for your kids to be on their own through college if they're going to go to college or if they're going to be an entrepreneur, maybe some seed money, right? So term policy uh, costs, uh, depending on the benefit, right? You can get a term policy for a hundred thousand dollars. You can get a term policy for $5 million. Cost is proportional at the end of that term. If you haven't died, there's no Good value you. left. You've just, you've spent all that money you on an insurance you policy. Die. It expires. It expires. And there's, there's no value left on that. But for a lower cost than permanent life insurance, you've had your family protected for 30 years or more. For theoretically the time where it matters the most, right? Where they're young, they're in school, you know, whatever, you're still the breadwinners, you know. So term, uh, the thing about term and, and permanent life is that the, the cost is dramatically different, right? Like maybe 10 times, right? Like you might, you might get a term policy for 800 bucks a year for 30 years um, and, a, and a whole life policy or permanent life plan might be 4,000 a year, 10,000 a year, right? It could be a For the a, same a benefit level. For, for the same for, benefit level. That's until you die. That's permanent forever. But you've got to keep paying it forever. Okay. Not What's the matter, Ed? You but I think, I think I'm going to devour that whole bag. I think there's oh, a part to my guest. <laughs> but I think there's a part to this that we need to clarify and we, we hope that the listeners are enjoying them. But if you can be really clear when you ask a question on why, so I would ask, why are you inquiring about life insurance? And how old are you? Yeah, I would ask a, a few more questions to, so that we could sort of pinpoint the correct way to do it because Ray can elaborate, the life insurance industry is extremely deep. And it has a lot of different um, options and we could probably do how many podcast you could, about you could do hours of it right. we'd all yeah. still be it's amazing at the it's end. amazing so what, what, what so general we trends yeah, do we so have let's right? talk generally so generally speaking uh there's whole there's you'll hear terms like whole life uh universal life variable life right they all kind of behave the same way as far as you pay a lot more than term they, they go until you're till you die 
you have to keep paying the premiums on them every year. They do stop sometime, like I think in your 80s or 90s, like it's way out there. Um, and um, but they're more much more complex than buying term, right? So the vari when all those different names like variable and universal and whatever is just about how the money is used inside that policy before you die. So it's something we were not going to talk about here because it's too complicated. But they all generally say, hey, you're going to get money. Your family or your beneficiaries are going to get a bunch of money when you die. You're going to pay for this for a long, long time. But it's also going to have an investment component to it. Um, that, that they call cash value that grows over time. And that's the real difference between term and, and permanent life is that with term, there's nothing there. You pay your monthly thing, you pay your annual thing. When it's done, it's done, goes away. And you can, you can sell your uh, whole insurance if you want and get out. You can take out, you can terminate the policy and you can take out whatever that investment component was, which is typically not that great um, and terminate the policy. Yes, you can, but but... If you do that with a term policy, stop paying, you can, you're free to stop paying, then there's no coverage, there's no benefit. So why would I ever do a term policy, not uh, a whole life policy? Because, you know, if you have bad luck, you get a 20-year policy, you're going to die 21 years later. The reason is because it's ex extremely, um, cheap. extremely cheap compared to whole life. And what are you going to do with that extra money you have? Can you invest it better? Do you need it? Can you not afford whole life? Uh, those are the things to consider. And if you've listened to some of our earlier episodes, um, the more money that you can control and invest can put you in a situation where by the time the term is up, you've already got more, yeah. more money that will cover so, you. So there's, there's, a bit, there's a big like philosophical debate about this, and it's been going on forever and probably will continue. Right? Do you, do you buy term cheap and invest the rest of your money? Or do you buy the whole life or the permanent life because it's because you never have to worry about it again, right? Because you will get to a point if you buy if you're 25 and you buy a term a 30 year term policy, when you're 55 it ends, and if you realize like oh I still do want life insurance for some other reason that I didn't think about before, well trying to get insurance when you're 55 is a lot different than getting it when right. you're 25, and the cost is going to be significantly higher. So to Johnny's point. Why are you asking this question now? Mm -hmm. Is it for my kids? Is it for my business? Is it for my spouse? Myself, Is it for myself? You know, my, my like, own situation. Do I want to leave a, a, a big pile of money for my family when I die? Or is this just to get me through some short-term thing? There's a lot of factors that go into this, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's probably safe to say that, you know, you, if, if you're going to do the term thing and invest, yeah, you know, you've got to have a plan for that, right? You got to decide how are you going to invest? Are you doing it? You giving it to a financial advisor? Like, what are you going to do? Because if you just take that extra money and you know go buy cigarettes and beer, well, then you know it's probably not a good idea. You're probably better off. Well, no, because then you'll die sooner, and the term policy <laughs> will actually pay off, right? And your family be happy. Uh, absolutely, that's right. But, that's right. But in all honesty, look, the reason whole life and, and different variations of it and term all coexist is because if you if you do the math, if you do the spreadsheet. It really comes down to the fact that, well, they're, they're, they're kind of close in terms of costs and benefits and, and risk, and it really comes down to your personal plan. So speaking of this, I have uh, started on the spreadsheet yet again uh, that compares term and investing to a whole life or actually an in, uh, indexed universal life policy and also compares it to a, an, an annuity policy. And I need Adam to go through it and check all my formulas and stuff and figure it out. So. Um, there's never going to be a straight answer to that, but it definitely has a personal touch to it for everybody who goes into it. Um, but uh, up until now, I'll just say this, we've been term and invest for the most part, 
since we were in our mid 20s, right? That was the path that we took. Um, I'm kind of on the fence now whether there's other reasons to do uh, permanent life insurances. I don't think it's one or the other. It could also be you do some of both. Um, but what, what have you guys all done? Let's wrap it up with that. So in terms of insurance, uh, I know in the beginning we weren't sure, oh, you know, is it life, is it other things? One of the personal uh, investing books and personal finance books that I read uh, when I was younger had talked about when you're considering any type of insurance, insurance should only be for catastrophic loss. It should never be for convenience. Oh, it'd be very inconvenient to be stuck with that bill, right? That should never be a reason to have insurance. Insurance should only be for catastrophic loss. So when I read that in the book, I thought that was very, very helpful for me to differentiate. No, no, no. Okay, now it narrows it down to these guys. And then when we're saying when you're looking at insurance, you need to have some kind of idea of what you're trying to cover. So in this particular book, it was kind of steering you towards the term life insurance. And it was saying, when you're looking at the amount, well, how much you know, should I get? They're looking at what are your liabilities? Do you have, own a home and do you have a mortgage on that home? Whoever your loved ones are, spouse, children. If you die, look at your income, what would not be coming in. Look at your liabilities, what it's left on your mortgage. All right, how many children do you have? Do you expect those children to go to college? What would that cost potentially be? And now you're looking at real numbers to cover. The book was talking about if you're just kind of pulling something out of the blue because it's what you can afford or what you think will save you money, it may not actually cover what you intend for it to cover. So therefore, get out the calculator, the paper, the pen, spreadsheet, the spreadsheet and figure Ooh. out figure out figure out the number that you want. And I thought that was very good. The last thing that they mentioned in that book that I thought was very helpful, and we kind of alluded to it a little bit in the beginning on episode one and two of financial stability, and that is we talked about a lot of different buckets when we were younger, right? We had the 401k, we had the Roth IRA, we had the traditional IRA. We started putting our money in all the buckets. And I think uh, Ray had mentioned at that time, boy, we realized, you know, we don't have any money to invest to do anything else. And so what the book was saying is that you don't want to sacrifice your long-term savings for your retirement for the purpose of insurance. And so that was another reason yet they kind of steering you towards the term life insurance. So I really liked the perspective of that book and I thought it was very down to earth and practical. So that's my two cents there. Yeah, so that I- That was more like five cents. Yeah, so I have, um, for my personal, for reasons, you know, we don't have kids or nothing, I, I do not have. But something I did learn in a personal situation I went through, very interesting. A lot of people leave wills and leave things and, and you know, leave money to different people. But something interesting about life insurance, the beneficiary form trumps your will. Whoever you left it in the will will get that. It does not matter what you say in your will. So learn that. The person who you want to have it is in that form, not in your will. So to be clear, you don't have any life insurance? None before. I I as well, um, I don't have any life insurance. Um, partially because I plan on living forever. So far, so good. Um, <laughs> you haven't died at all? So far, yeah. unlike you, so far. Excellent. So I'm doing a good job. 183 years, you look um, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna say with you, I don't have kids. Um, I figured why put money into this where if, if I were to pass away, die, whatever, uh, my life, living forever does not work. I have enough invested that that's just gonna go and take care of the problems anyway. Um, and I don't like to think about dying, so. You have life insurance, you're always thinking about it. Okay, um, I think I already said my piece. So we've had term 20 and 30 year term policies for a while and they're actually getting close to expiring now, which is making me feel even older. Um, <laughs> we did do some whole life policies more for investing purposes um, because there are other philosophies on how this works. Um, but that, we'll go into that. Separate episode. Time. So totally separate yeah, episode. Long episode. So, um, um, 
if, if you think about whole life and permanent life, you're guaranteed some rate of return. Well, how can the, these companies possibly guarantee you something? Well, part of the reason is the return can be somewhat subdued. I'm convinced I can do better than accepting a guaranteed low return. So my wife and I uh, had uh, several 20-year policies. Uh, two of them are expired now. Uh, we've got 30-year uh, policies as well. And we've got two kids, mortgage, and uh, the idea is that, that they will be covered. Um, the, the other thing to, to consider is you might also have some coverage through your employer, right? And you need to take that into account too if you're fortunate enough to have that because you might need that much less if you're talking term insurance. One thing you on, the, on yeah. the employers that I found out, apparently if you're paying the premiums out of pocket, which are not tax deductible, you got to pay that out of pocket after your taxes, then if... You know, you need to go ahead and make a claim on that insurance. Your insurance, uh, whatever they pay out, is going to be tax-free. But if you're not paying out of pocket, if it's somehow subsidized, employer or other group, you know, through professional association, then there are going to be some tax implications. So you want to need to consider that as well. Yeah, and and the last thing I'll say is that um, if you did have some policy through your employer and you chose to take less on your personal side, but then you change jobs or you lose that benefit you might be stuck. Like now I don't have enough, right? Because I used to get, you know, if I took, I got a hundred for my employer, a hundred thousand dollar policy for my employer. And I took another 200 cause I wanted, I wanted 300 total. And then I quit that job or leave that job. I don't have that hundred subsidize anymore, it. Yeah. Right. So you might be stuck, but you might've also grown your net worth in that period where you maybe, don't need it maybe anymore. You have, maybe you have. So lots of math. So that, that's a complicated one. Um, could we do a whole episode or three on course, that? Sure. Situation. Absolutely. Yeah. But, we, but we'd have to talk real numbers and real examples cause it would get boring really fast. So, all right, I you think we're getting uh, near the end. The, the bag yeah. of Skittles is gone. Yeah, if, if we keep doing this, we're going to be you using that insurance. Yeah, <laughs> not it's, me. You're supposed to be healthy. It's and empty. running and stuff. What's I have wrong some. With you? You're supposed so, to leave it for me. The bag is empty. That means the show is over. That's right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll <laughs> be here next time. Thank you for listening to the Addict Static Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe, and feel free to leave a comment below. Or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com. And stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.